Arm yourself with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. But they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. Let's pray. Oh, most gracious Heavenly Father, these are your words. Let us focus on your words and ask the Lord to bring us what you want us to hear today, Lord. Lord, just guide my words, guide each person in this congregation, and we'll give you the glory and the praise in Jesus' most holy name. Amen. You may be seated. As we know, Peter has talked about a life in this world as exiles who have our hope in Jesus and long for our true home. But what I want you to know, have you ever noticed that the apostle Peter does not place hope in winning the culture wars? Okay? He doesn't call Christians to distance themselves from the culture we live in. He's not about winning or about withdrawing. Instead, Peter has repeatedly reminded them, those that were persecuted, of their living hope in Jesus Christ and their place in his kingdom as citizens of heavens. They are children of God in the kingdom of God, meant to display the beauty of their king. You say, how is that to take place? Well, one of the ways is by fighting their own sinful desires and by filling the places where they live with beautiful deeds that reflect their king, especially in pain and persecution. We hear a lot about suffering. You remember Peter? Peter was the one who told Jesus that he would never let him be crucified. Remember that? Okay, yeah. Yeah, we know that didn't happen. It's no coincidence that right after saying that, you understand what Jesus taught his disciples? He said that anyone who would follow him would have to take up their cross and follow him, deny themselves. You see, Peter himself was crucified upside down later in life. To follow Jesus would not be a life of political power in this world. But it is a life following in the first steps of Jesus' suffering. Jesus was never, never going to win a popular vote. He was never going to overthrow Rome as Many people expected. 
He was never going to overthrow Rome and give the Jews the political power which they hoped for. Instead, Jesus was going to submit to the will of his father. The cross was on his radar. He was to preach the gospel of the kingdom and march his way to a cross to pay for the sins of those who shouted, crucify him. This is the life in the kingdom of God with a crucified king. It's a life of suffering. Expect that. He said that, okay? We've heard lots of message. The first century believers receiving this letter from Peter would have felt this coming. They would have heard rumors of horrible persecutions all over the Roman Empire. But here's what I fear about most of us as people. I fear we are people hungry for power. We f- I'm, I'm f- afraid we're people that are hungry for control or comfort in this life. You see, we want to get our way more than proclaim the way that leads to life. But before I actually get into the focus of the message, if we're really all in for Jesus, really all in, you must be ready to fellowship in his suffering. If we are all in with Jesus, you must be ready to worship a crucified king that rose from the dead. If we share in the victory of Christ, we must also share in the sufferings of Christ. No, I know it's not a comfortable place to be, but it's the path of life in Christ. Peter shows us in this passage how to be ready to be to fellowship in his suffering. This morning, I want us to focus on our mind. Okay, our mind. It's so important, isn't it, right? We're going to focus on our mind as it relates three ways to being ready to suffer with Christ. Okay, that's why the title of my message is New Life Now with Our New Mind. So what are those three ways that relate to our mind? Well, in verses 1 through 3, we see the mind and manner of Christ. The mind and manner of Christ. In verse 4, we're going to see the mind and the maligning of the world. Because they will. And finally, in verses 5 and 6, we're going to see the mind and mercy of God. So let's begin with verses 1 through 3, the mind and manner of Christ. We see in the Bible, as Dwayne so marvelously preached last Sunday, and as Chip alluded to in his prayer earlier, that Christ suffered once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring us to God. He took our place. He submitted to his Father's will, and he paid for us to be in the family of God by his blood. We also learned that he was tempted in every way we are, yet without sin. 
He obeyed his father and endured suffering all the way to the point of a criminal's death on the cross. So, in light of that, in light of what Dwayne marvelously preached last Sunday, Peter tells us that we are to have the same mind and manner of Christ. If you don't believe that, let me read verse 1 once more to you. Since, oh, I like that, okay? You're going to see, I, I love this passage because it has a bunch of connection words, okay? Since, therefore, but, so, for. Since, therefore, Christ suffered in the flesh. Arm yourself with the same way of thinking, for whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Notice, that's the mind and manner of Christ. Christ suffered in the flesh. And Peter, right here, calls us to equip ourselves. I think in the Greek, he uses the word arm yourself. Okay, that's a military term. Having grown up in the military, you have to be conscious defensively and offensively how to control your environment. That's what he's saying. He's saying, equip yourself, arm yourself with that kind of thinking, the kind of thinking that Jesus had. Now, what kind of thinking was that? Well, that means you need to follow Christ in his mindset in suffering. So, I can see everybody say, so what was Christ's mindset when he endured suffering? Well, let me go back to Mark, okay? Mark 14, 35 and 36. Let me read that little passage because it kind of tells us what that mindset is. And going a little farther, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. That's the ultimate suffering as he prepared himself to die on the cross. That anguish, not my will, but thine. You see, as we prepare ourselves with a mind ready or arming ourselves ready to suffer in the footsteps of Jesus, how do we do that? We do that by remembering that we have a father who loves us and always calls us to what is best for us. The commands of our father are meant to lead us into the joy of fellowship with him and the joy of true life with him. You say, how do we do that? Well, let me tell you two of the most important things. This is why regular time in the word of God and prayer is absolutely essential and important. For you see, when we neglect the word of God, when we don't have time for the word of God, we are neglecting the very thing that has the power to change our lives. You don't believe that? Let me just share a few passages. 
The word of God has the power to convict us of sin, to teach us truth, and to lead us into righteousness. Look at Psalm 119, verses 9 through 11. As I've heard countless times from Durain, the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. It's able to convict us of sin and dispel our self-deception. So, my hope is let us not be like those who cast aside the word of God. Preferring instead the empty promises of this world. Because the world will give us a bunch of promises, okay? All you have to do is flip your TV on, listen to the politicians, listen to the school system. You're going to see a bunch of empty promises. But instead of that, let us treasure the word of God. Hiding it in our hearts so that, as Psalm 119.11 says, that we may not sin against him. So let me ask you a few rhetorical questions, okay? We know what a rhetorical question is, right? It's a question that we already know the answer to, okay? So how will we know the will of God Or how are we going to arm ourselves with fellowship with God if we don't spend time with God? How can we have this mindset, that mindset that has the manner of Christ that we found in verse 1, if we spend more time digesting a million other things before we pursue knowing the heart of God? And notice that this kind of mindset, that preparing for suffering as we submit to the Father's will, look a little bit closer to that verse, will cause us to break the patterns of sin. Now, let me make it this world point, because I can see everybody says, Peter's not saying that we're going to be perfect. <laughs> I'm, I'm absolutely... away from being perfect. But what he is saying is that there will be a new mindset that forsakes sin to do the Father's will, even if it means that we're going to suffer because we long to obey and fellowship with our Father. If you don't believe that, Peter explains that in verse 2. So let's look at verse 2. Oh, another one of those connected words. So. So what? Okay, so because of arming ourselves. So, as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. The mind that prepares itself in the word. That's always focusing on the word of God that's always going to the Lord for help instead of whoever else. The mind that prepares itself in the word and prayer to be ready to suffer with Christ leads to a manner of life that simply forsakes former passions of the flesh. They forsake it, and instead they focus on the will of God. 
You see, this kind of mindset is one that flows from new people with new taste buds. Psalm 34, 8, I love this verse. Taste and see that the Lord is good. How blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Y'all remember chapter 2? Okay, I know it's been months ago that we got to chapter 2. But let me remember you. Okay, let me remind you. The whole premise is, how did we become a new people with new tastes and therefore a new power to walk in a new life? Well, let me remind you what Second Peter, I mean, First Peter 2 says. We were born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus. We are a people who hope for our future inheritance of full joy, not in our little kingdoms of passing pleasures. We are people who can rejoice with joy inexpressible and filled with glory, even in trials, because we have a sure living hope in Jesus and a loving, always with us Father who promises to bring us home. Okay? This is not a home we're just a passing through. This new identity knows that the true home is, as Hebrews 13, 14 says, for here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. That means we want to spend all our time with him. Now, how do we forsake sins? Well, let's look a little further, okay? Because I, I think verse 3 really gets to this nitty-gritty and some things that we don't like to hear as people. Look at verse 3. Another connection. Did you know that? For, okay, for the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do. Living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. The past, okay? If this past year has taught me anything, hopefully it has, that life is short. It's a breath, or as James says, it's a vapor. We are made in the image of God to live in fellowship with God and spend our lives making much of him. Jesus has purchased us. He brought us back into fellowship with God. And we have been set apart by the Holy Spirit as a holy nation, a royal priesthood. So here comes another one of those rhetorical questions. Why? Why? Okay, I I never liked that word, but why? Okay. You know, why would we give another second to the slavery Jesus paid to set us free? Okay, that sounds like madness to me, right? Hey, why would you want to go back to slavery of sin? But guess what? That's what human heart does. Okay, that's what we do as humans. It's easier, or we perceive it is easier to be comfortable in our bondage than to live radically for God and our freedom. 
freedom of Christ that he has made us alive. Listen, if you are here right now, and obviously you're sitting in the pew, so you are here right now. If you are here right now and have trusted in Jesus to save you from your sins, the time is past for running back to the duty well of your old sins. One of the ugliest passages about this is 2 Peter 2.22. 2 Peter 2.22. Let me read it to you. What's the two Proverbs says has happened to them? The dog returned to his own vomit, and the sow, after washing herself, returns to wallow in the mire. <laughs> not, not very good pictures, okay? Listen, I am perfectly aware and know it's more comfortable living in the broken patterns of your heart. It's the easy way out. I know that some of us are used to that late night comfort food of sin that makes you feel better for a moment. I know it's scary, or at least the perception it's scary, to simply confess your sin, walk into the light, and start walking in new power. The time is past for doing those things. Today is the day of salvation. Life is short. The time is past for doing those things. The time is past for living like you have no new power. Because we do have. We have the power unto salvation, as it says in Romans 1.16. The time is past for pretending like it's better to give into your lusts, your anger, your bitterness, your gossip, your binge eating, your prideful posturing, rather than suffer through temptation a bit and walk with Jesus. The time is past for living for power, for prestige, for popularity, for approval, for money, for control. Fill in everything you want. Instead of wanting the Father's will and walking with Jesus, if you're here and you are walking in patterns of decade-long sin, that passage says the time is what? Past. You've been born again to a living hope. First Peter 2 says, once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Once you were not a people, but now you are a people. You are part of a holy nation a royal priesthood meant to proclaim the excellencies of the one who purchased you and promised you eternity with him. I can't repeat it enough. Life is short. It's all about Jesus. He saved us. He caused you to be born again. So here comes another one of those rhetorical questions. Why? Why, why, why? Why spend another moment toying around with sin that just wants to steal true life and joy from you. Right now, if that's what you're doing, I beg you to confess, to repent, 
in verses one, as verses one through three says, and ask Christ for help to live in the mind and manner of Christ. But you see, verse four talks about the mind and maligning of the world. Let me read verse four. With respect, with respect to what? With respect to what we just read in verses two and three. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery. And here it is. And they malign you. As you follow Jesus with your eyes fixed on an eternal inheritance that's, in, that's uncor- you know, incorruptible. As your eyes are fixed on an eternal inheritance with him and you seek to live for his kingdom, you will constantly bump up against the kingdom of this world. Expect it. The world is not going to understand you. Expect it. Their mindset is this. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. In other words, the subjects of this world act according to the mantra of living for whatever brings pleasure in this moment because the moment is all they have. All they have is this life. The world doesn't have eternal perspective. They have no thoughts of the righteous God against whom they are sinning. They have no thoughts of a place with full joy and pleasures forevermore. And so they have a completely different mindset. It's not a mindset of suffering and doing the Father's will, but it's a mindset of instant gratification in doing their own will. And as they live in a completely different manner, from a completely different mindset, or let me put it this way, this is, this is the buzzword, their worldview. They will malign you. It says that. They will malign you. This is not new. Read the Bible. They mock Jesus all the time. Read first century Christians. They mock the followers of Jesus all the time. And they will certainly mock us. All you have to do is listen to the news. Go to secular campuses. Go to schools. Go to, yeah, okay, I don't have to say anything more. You see, a way of life abstaining from instant gratification for the sake of following a crucified king makes absolutely no sense to the world we're living for. Living in, okay? Because they have no eternal perspective. The mindset of this world will lead to the maligning of Christians. So, if that's going to happen, which it will, we must be prepared for maligning. We must be prepared not to assimilate it. We're not supposed to avoid it, okay? We're not, we can't avoid the world. We live in the world. 
We're not to become aggressive, and I've seen that. But instead, we're to engage with the courageous humility of our Savior. Let this mind be in you, which was in Christ Jesus. I'm going to read that later on in my benediction. And we as Christians are to fill this place with beautiful deeds that point to him. All the while entrusting ourselves to our faithful father. I'm so blessed by VBS. The words repeated over and over again in VBS was no matter how you were feeling, whether you were sad or depressed or mad or whatever you were going to. Anybody remember what the kids sounded? sounded? Yeah, sign Jesus' light, okay? Okay, that's what we need to do. Because we are going to get maligned. The mindset of the world will ultimately lead to the maligning of Christians. Don't get angry. Don't get fearful. When that happens, be ready. And then engage with a humble, courageous, and compassionate truth. And a love, there's the key, and a love that remembers that the difference between you and them, the difference between you and them is that you've been born again to a living eternal hope and this world is not our home. Finally, in verses five and six, let us look at the mind and mercy of God. You see, we are not to be angry people. Okay, I I don't know, I've seen a lot of Christians that are... (laughs) We're not to be angry people shaking our fists and demanding our rights. We don't follow the world in demanding a sort of man-made justice. Rather, we know that we are sinners, saved by grace, and that God will bring forth ultimate justice by pouring out his wrath for sin. He's either going to do that on the day he returns and punishes unbelievers, or on the cross where he took the wrath reserved for us. You see, that's what verse 5 says. Let's look at verse 5. But they, okay, who's they? Those people that were maligning us, okay? But they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. How do you fight against a heart that wants to defend itself? How do you do that? You remember that those maligning you will stand before the might of God. Yes, perhaps those people maligning you might say stuff like this. What good is your Christian faith? You abstain from things in this life. You have no fun on this earth. And all you're going to do is die. We as Christians can calmly say, you know, I, I understand that. But here's what. God is ready to judge the living and the dead. You will face him someday. And my only hope for that day is that he has poured out his wrath for my sins on Jesus. And it is that confidence in the might of God to bring about justice that leads us to understand how amazing the mercy of God is. 
Okay, so let's look at verse 6. For this, okay, there's the purpose clause again. For this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. You see, I want to contrast something today. A mindset of instant gratification, the worldview, says, who cares about Jesus? We all die. Get pleasure now. Okay, that's just simply what they say, okay? Who cares about Jesus? We all die. Let's eat, drink, and be merry. A Christian can say, no, you're wrong. Those who believe the gospel are judged in the world by men, but they live in the spirit according to God after they die. We see as Duane preached last Sunday that Jesus was made alive in the spirit. You see, Christians don't ultimately die. They aren't giving up worldly pleasures for nothing. They're giving up worldly pleasures for ultimate joy in Jesus Christ. They are raised to a new life. The Christian can say this to the people. You can judge me now according to your worldview and live for this short moment. But I'm telling you, judgment is coming soon and I will rise again to new life forever. And the Christian doesn't say it boastfully because we know in the Bible we only boast in Christ. And so we recognize that the difference between us and unbelievers is simply mercy. And just as we are those who heard the gospel and preached and believe, we likewise plead with them to believe the gospel. We engage them with courage, humility, and compassion, and love for the sake of Christ and the good of their own soul. Yes, God is mighty, and he will judge all who don't believe. That day's coming. But God is also merciful and has sent his son to die on the cross to save sinners like us, who then can turn and proclaim that good news to other sinners. So, why we expect a mindset clash, and there will be one. While we expect a clash of lies with the world, we don't consider this an us against the mission. Instead, we consider this an us for Christ and an us for the world mission. We commend Christ to a lost and dying world. We commend Christ with confidence and humility, sharing in the suffering of Christ gladly because it means we share in the abundant life of Christ. We leave our sin behind and we pray that people see our good deeds. We pray that they ask us for a reason for the hope that is in us. And we pray that we glorify our Father in heaven. That's what we pray for the world. And you say, and if they don't, 
then we bless them for those who curse us. You see, we have a new life with our new mind. And yes, as we prepare our minds to suffer, as we submit to the will of God, we recognize that our mindset and manner of Christ will clash with this world. I've already said, it will likely bring maligning and mocking. Remember, the commands of Christ are meant to lead us into the fellowship with Christ and the life of Christ. When we're giving up the way of the world, when we're leaving sin behind, when we're instead taking up cross and follow Jesus, when we're instead living in fellowship with him and the blood-brought family of God, that's the only place that brings true joy and life for us. If you don't believe that, let me remind you of John 10.10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came, I came, Jesus came, that they may have life and have it more abundantly. The path of walking with Jesus in his suffering means that we also get to walk with Jesus in his victory. But we don't define that victory in cultural capital we don't define it in political power or even in being comfortable. If we give in to that mindset, you know, the kind of the world mindset, we are people to be most to be pitied. Instead, we have sure victory. We have sure victory that Jesus is reigning at the right hand of God right now. In Colossians, we are told that we are hidden with Christ in God right now. Christ has gone to prepare a place for us, but until, he, until then, he has come and made his home in us right now. We have fellowship with him now. We drink from the fountain of life now. He leads us to green pastures and still waters now. He restores our souls now. He is with us in the valley of the shadows. Yeah. He pursues us with goodness and mercy all the days of our life. Now. We count all else as lost compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus. Now. This life of suffering with Christ is the only true life of abundance. It's the only life living in accord with reality. It's the only life living in the light and not the darkness. It's the only life where we find joys deep enough and beauty big enough to satisfy our restless souls. It's the only life that gets us back to doing what we were made to do. What, was, what were we made to do? Let me read. Glorify God by enjoying him forever. My prayer is that we join Jesus in his suffering and we join him in his ultimate victory because he came that we might have life and have it not. How are we supposed to have it? Abundantly. And that is always true for the Christian 
because Christ has died once for all to bring us to God. So in this moment, as I close, so in this moment, confess sin. Hope again in the shed blood of Christ. Walk again in the abundant life of fellowship with and obedience to your king. Let this mind be in you, that mind and manner of Christ, because we know we're going to get maligned by the world, but praise the Lord, we have the mercy of God. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you're alive that we know circumstances are going to happen, but Lord, we can rest in that we have the living hope that we are your people, Lord, and we'll give you the glory and the praise in Jesus' most holy name.